So if you were attacked by a mountain lion. Or a lynx. Or a lynx. Could be a jaguar. It could be a puma or a cougar, which is the same thing. Anyway, if, if you're attacked by one. Do you let them eat the person you're with? No. I like to think I wouldn't. Would you fight a cougar? No. If I had a stick, maybe? You'd fight a cougar with a stick? Like, not like a, like a, a significantly large piece of yeah, lumber. Like a, like a Gandalf stick, not like, yes. yeah, okay, not like, not a, like a fetch stick. stick. Yeah. A, a, yeah. A down like, a tree branch, yeah. yeah I would like try a, the fetch stick, actually. I'd say, oh, kitty, kitty, you want to go fetch a stick, kitty? Back away slowly is probably my, uh, while, while facing you. Don't give it your back. That's no. a fool's errand. I think I would definitely clean my retainer. I think making that sound would definitely intimidate it. You wear a retainer? No. Okay, I was about to say, I think I would know that he by now. He just carries one in case. <laughs> in I, I, case of cougar well, attack. I, in case you can do the parent yeah. trap thing where you just beat the two sticks together and hope you scare it off. It's like my shark repellent spray on my bat belt. <laughs> Give it one of those. Yeah, and then, then it's gone, right? Worked in this movie. Yeah, that's what I've learned from movies. So, uh, yes, um, this is the uh, Good Trash Survival cast. Uh, welcome here. Um, we're going to tell you how to survive a uh, lynx attack or perhaps an ocelot or some kind of marmot. And uh, we're going to help you do all that as we do our review of uh, the last Keanu Reeves film of our Keanu Reeves marathon, Destination Wedding. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, and he is still the man we call Keanu. Yes, indeed. We are finishing this marathon, uh, which is a birthday gift to Dalton for his birthday love. Birthday gift. Wedding birthday, gift. Wedding gift. It's, it's kind the of... The now married Dalton. It's like you're about to be born anew. Time travel. A different yeah. Yes. Not married while we're recording this. We'll be married when the listener hears it. Yes. It's weird. That's very weird. Uh, so, yes, um, um, Mr. Um, Doctor Girlfriend, now fiance. I am. I am Mister. I will be Mister Doctor Girlfriend by the time you hear this. Mister Doctor Girlfriend. I, I, that's what I'm. The only thing I'm ever going to call you ever again. That's what you should call me. He'll forget by next week. You totally. Probably. You totally still need to take her name. <laughs> I didn't change my name when I got adopted. I'm not changing it now. Yeah. You, 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 I still think you need Fight. to take her name because I think that's a very epic name. But nonetheless, um, we're here to talk about weddings and not just mine. Uh, no, not just yours. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about this movie in such detail that we need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that does mean we're going to spoil it. So you're going to find out whether or not Keanu and Winona end up together at the end of the movie. We're going to say so. Um, I'm saying so. Uh, and there you go. And that's going to happen throughout. So um, that's the kind of show you're tuned into. But um, before we get into that, though, we kind of remain a little spoiler light in terms of review. But that always begins with the synopsis. From Mr. Arthur Gordon. Can you synopsize the destination wedding, please, sir? I will do my best. Um, There's not a lot going on in this movie. Actually, it's pretty easy to synopsize. Uh, Lindsay, played by Winona Ryder, and Frank, our hero, Keanu Reeves, who we've been with for five weeks now, uh, meet while waiting to board their plane. Frank strikes up a conversation but abruptly brushes her off. Uh, This sets up a series of awkward confrontations that follow them as they realize they are going to the same place, a destination wedding. Fate keeps putting the two together through activities, commutes, and adjoining rooms. The two continue to bicker while finding themselves deeply attracted to one another. As the weekend nears an end, they have to decide if they can move past their own egos and hang-ups and begin a relationship or call it simply a weekend fling. That's what happens. It's Pride and Prejudice. Is that what happens in Pride and Prejudice? Basically. Okay. All of them. Including the mountain lion. Um, the mountain lion scene in Pride and Prejudice is great because it's in England and they don't have them. And so the export you know, details of an exotic animal is really fascinating. What is the air and speed velocity of a European sparrow? Uh, European or an African swallow? I, I specified European. European right. swallows um, about, about a knot and a half, two knots. 
Oh. It's always fun to reference. Already off the rails. Hey, hey, Dalton. Yeah, buddy? Do you like Destination Wedding? I adore this movie. Tell me why. I love me an 80-minute movie. Tight. Just quick. Lean. I love it. I like me a short film. I don't know what it is about him, uh, but yeah, I see an, a runtime of 90 minutes or less. I'm I'm thrilled. Not just because, you know, we're watching movies for the podcast and, you know, you got to set aside time for that. But I just, I just enjoy the economy of storytelling going on in this film. Uh, it, it's it very much is a, a film for 2018, the year it came out, or 2017. Uh, you'll see different release dates depending on where you look just because of uh, the oddities of film release schedules. But it is very much a film about uh, people filled with hate and a world filled with hate. And how do you navigate falling in love in that world? I mean, it's uh, uh, no accident uh, that Keanu's character is introduced listening to the cacophony that is cable news, right? I mean, this is a film about uh, being uh, scarred by the world and and, and being uh, kind of turned into a misanthrope. And how do you navigate that and try to still be a, a decent person? And how do you try to connect with people when uh, you convince yourself you have no desire to connect. It's, it's, it's an interesting film in that regard. I mean, uh, he, he's a, uh, unrepentant capitalist. She is for lack of a better word, a social justice warrior. And, uh, if ever there was a movie for our times, this is it, right? I mean, they have an active conversation about her being a reverse fascist, uh, and him giving out car awards. It's, it's just a delightful pairing of characters, uh, and Keanu and Winona are just so good together. I mean, the, their chemistry shows that they, they have had this on off screen friendship for decades now. And you just, you see two people just slip very comfortably into being scene partners. Uh, and it's great. And it's probably the most acting we've got to see Keanu do in this marathon. Uh, yeah. River's edge is a very performance heavy film, but there's a lot of characters in that film speeds an action movie. A Scanner Darkly is kind of a weird, trippy film. Man of Tai Chi is an action movie where he's the bad guy. This is the most acting we've got out of Keanu because every scene involves him talking with Winona Ryder. It's it's a two-hander. They're the only characters with with any dialogue to speak of. Um, and I'm just a big fan of that kind of movie. I like people walking around and talking. Uh, I'm a fan of films like that, and this kind of captures really beautifully... Uh, what I like about those films, I, and it's just small moments, right? It's Lindsay talking to herself in her hotel room after her and Keanu, um, you know, have, have a, the, the, the seeds of a relationship start to be there. And she's kind of debating with herself uh, how much sense this makes. It's just a really quiet, small moment. Uh, but stuff like that. This film just has a, a great economy of character development and uh of story and uh, i'm a huge fan and, and all of that said we haven't gotten to how damn funny it is it's just it's a really really funny movie uh there, there's issues i have with we'll probably get to an analysis but overall yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of this movie it's it's a delight okay thank you very much for that what do you think arthur do you like this movie and why i do like it i i enjoy it for uh, several of the same reasons as dalton I, I like the simplicity of it um I don't know the last time I've seen a movie, you know, this kind of romantic comedy type film with just two characters. I mean, there's nobody else. I mean, we have a few extras, but they don't have any speaking parts. And so uh, to to really rely so heavily on these two leads, um, it's important to have two leads who work well together. And you nail it with, uh, you know, Winona and Keanu. Um, as Dalton mentioned, they've had this, you know, three decade or so friendship um, and I was kind of reading about the film and, and one of the things the director and Winona mentioned were, you know, 
they only had like nine days to shoot this. And so they needed somebody that they could have a chemistry with pretty, pretty easily. And Keanu came up because he's got this natural chemistry with Winona. Um, and I think it shows, I, I think they're a great pair. Uh, I think they have a lot of fun playing off of each other and it's got this very old school setup. And I'll talk about that a little bit in the syllabus, but, um, it's a very traditional, I think, hook, uh, you know, just two strangers meeting on a, on a travel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of the seeds coming from screwball comedy there. And uh, the very kind of Billy Wilder-esque rapid-fire dialogue of, of past Hollywood. And, and so uh, you kind of bring that up and, you know, match it up to today's kind of humor, this kind of dark, sardonic uh, comedy that's, you know, it it goes a long way in in making two very dislikable characters uh, empathetic and, and interesting to watch and and see. I, I think it's one of those instances where oh, we talked about it a while back about just having characters who are just flat out you don't care about it because they're so uh, just annoying or obnoxious or dislikable. Uh, and these characters are very much those things, but there's something about the way they're performed and, and written that they are easy to empathize with and uh, engage with and invest in emotionally. And it's all, you know, due to their performances. And uh, I, I, I appreciate that all quite a bit. I, I laughed a lot. Uh, just the kind of absurdity of the, the situations they keep finding themselves in are, are really well thought out and well plotted. And uh, um, I appreciate that kind of sharp storytelling Um and so, yeah, I, I'm pretty pro on this one. I, I, I do like it quite a bit. Uh, I, I laughed quite a bit. You know, I don't know how much I'd go back to it, but uh, first time watch through is pretty pro. And uh, I, I also appreciate that we've got two, you know, 40-somethings, you know, and that love story because it's yeah. not something you see, especially in a romantic comedy genre. It's typically, you know, late 20s, mid-30s, that type of thing. And so to get something with a kind of an older lean to it, um, is, is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I like that about it as well. Um, kind of surveying the idea of, you know, sometimes you don't find somebody until you're a little older and, uh, I, I appreciate that about it as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I like it. It's a, it's a fun time. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Mr. Arthur Gordon, this movie passes the six laugh test, uh, for me. And so I laughed much more than six times. Uh, it is hilarious and so much fun. And the dialogue, I mean, the performances we've already talked about, and I totally agree. Keanu and uh, Winona Ryder have such great chemistry with one another that it is absolutely dynamite. Uh, so love that, and I love the way they work together and uh, work off of each other. But the dialogue itself, the lines that are written for them, is part of what makes this so superior. And it felt like an Aaron Sorkin movie to me in a lot of ways. It felt like a Linklater to me a movie okay. uh, in several ways, but for same, the same reasons, but, yeah. Um, because one of the things that Sorkin taps into, and I think Linklater does this as well, is taps into the mean jab but without you ma- without making the character dislikable. Yeah. Because as Arthur said, these are pretty I mean these are these two characters, Lindsay and Frank, I would not be friends with. No, me either. Not, neither one of them. They're a bummer. Uh, and like no, you are very unpleasant and I would be elsewhere. I would definitely step forward in the line and uh and then just if she kept talking I wouldn't have even responded. I would have just kept walking. Um just no, I don't want anything to do with this person. And the same with him. If he were talking to me like, "You know what? Uh by all means, leave." And uh, don't come back. I'm okay with that. Um, 
But what happens with these lines is they are so full of the sort of Barbie kind of cruelty, Barb-ish, full of barbs, not Barbie as in the plastic um, doll, yeah, um, that it's so full of that kind of stuff that is written in such a way that it's endearing. Yeah. The sort of meanness is endearing. And there's a close analog, and I thought of a moment from the West Wing uh, when I was thinking about the Sorkin-esque-ness of it, and... Uh, you know, there's a there's a whole series of events that goes on in a particular episode where, um, you know, they're talking about Iranian exports and what's going on in Iran and, you know, really trying to, you know, pump up uh, Iran and the relationship. And it's like everybody's like, this is ridiculous. And uh, CJ says something along the lines of, yeah, I get all my clothes from and all my fashion from the Iranian fashion shows. And all the only thing Toby Ziegler says in response is, yeah, it shows. <laughs> And she's and there's a beat in a moment because then that's my whole day. That's all I'm going to think about all day long. He goes, okay, and just moves on. And it, it, it's like mean, but it's like there's a there's an endearingness to that line delivery. And throughout the film, it does exactly that kind of thing. You know, the sort of like, is it better? Yeah, it's better. Are we? So I'm good now. No, no, good. Some ways off yet. It, it it's, it's got that kind of cruelty, but it's also somehow good spirited. Yeah, there's a sensitivity and an affection to it. Yeah, right? it's a good natured meanness, which is something I love. That is definitely my heroine is good natured meanness, and that's probably explains the show um yep explains a lot yeah i I love me some good-natured meanness and so i love that about it i think everything else really really works and is that economical kind of storytelling that is just i'm a fan yeah so i like the movie a lot and that's i mean i think we need not say any more about that let's move on though and expand the syllabus so you found yourself in a weird film studies class yeah where you're talking about keanu reeves and uh or at least you're talking about this particular little movie maybe it's a uh, class on destination weddings i don't know um yeah or the romantic comedy or the melodrama or the screwball i mean there's a number of things that you could be doing independent filmmaking um so, uh, what class are you teaching, and how would you expand that syllabus, Dalton? Well, we've got to start off with uh, teaching a few episodes of uh, the series It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, which is a show that takes the most unlikable, egregious misanthropes on the planet Earth and endears them with uh, empathy, uh, which is, uh, you know, this show's now been on for 10, 11 seasons. I mean, this show just keeps going, uh, and somehow it is because... These unlikable characters have been made so likable, and that's a very difficult thing to do, uh, and it all comes down to good characters, good writing. Uh, I mean, performances are a must as well, but as Dustin talked about, writing that is is hard. It's hard to make unlikable people uh, likable, and I think that series does a great job of that. So you got to start there. Next, we're going to go back to the early screwball comedy I could think of, uh, and it is the film It Happened One Night, directed by Frank Capra, starring nice. Claudette Colbert and Clark Gable. I love, 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 love this movie from 1934. It's pre-code, so it's sexy as hell, um, and uh, people get to just do stuff they didn't get to do post-mid-30s uh, in, in film. Uh, but it, it really kind of captures the same thing that we've been talking about. It, it's just it's a film about two characters who are thrust to tra- thrust thrust into traveling together, uh, despite their uh, dislike and contempt for each other. And you watch that combative relationship grow into one of affection and eventually love. Uh, it's it's a great movie uh, that is way more progressive than you would think a film from 1934 would be. Uh, and it's just it, it just sings and hums kind of in the same way this film does. Uh, last but certainly not least, I want to talk about uh, a, a film that's 
two films, and that's The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, starring Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy. Um, this film definitely wants you... There's moments where the the scenes, empathies, and POV are more towards Lindsay and scenes uh, that are more towards Frank. Uh, this is a film that is uh, shot... One half is uh, purely from McAvoy's POV, and the other half is purely from Chastain's POV. And uh, in some places, you'll see this edited together into one movie. I've never seen that cut. I've only seen the two separate films. Uh, but that that is a film that kind of takes some of the ideas of this and uh, furthers them. Obviously, Dis- Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby comes out in like 2013, 14. I don't remember exactly, but before Destination Wedding. But there are plenty of examples of romantic dramas and romantic comedies where uh, it tries to really be about both characters. Uh, leads uh and this is one of the few that i think does a really great job just by virtue of having so many scenes where it's just one of the two characters uh and letting even the scenes where they're together remain decisively in one character's pov um really really love this pair of films i think they're great i haven't seen them in quite a few years now but uh when i, I first watched them i was quite taken with them uh, and again i i think just makes for a, a great furthering of some of the themes we have going on in Destination Wedding uh, because there are a pair of films that are about how uh, this is obviously about at the start of a relationship, but Disappearance for Eleanor Rigby is about how a relationship takes a break and potentially ends and how the two members of that relationship kind of navigate their feelings about each other when they're together and when they're apart. And again, we get a little bit of that in Destination Wedding, and just in terms of how that can be done really, really well on film, I think uh, this this pair of films is a really great pairing. So that, that's how what I'm going to send uh, send with you to expand your syllabus, get you thinking a little bit harder about Destination Wedding. Alrighty, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, Arthur? How would you expand this particular syllabus uh, entry? I would kind of pick up where Dalton uh, was starting to go there with it happened one night. That's the first one on my list. I would trace this kind of idea of the romantic comedy slash the screwball comedy and see how it kind of evolves uh, just as culture and society and, and our, I think, worldview as a whole evolves looking at relationships and those dynamics through time. Um, so I'd start with it happened one night. I, I, it's I think everything can kind of be traced back to that the the kind of the road yeah. the road comedy and the the romantic comedy itself kind of go back to uh, that that film um and and from there I'd go into 42 I believe and I would go with Woman of the Year uh with uh Spencer Tracy and uh Catherine Hepburn um where we've got these two uh, I wouldn't call them super unlikable but they are two very headstrong characters uh, with very different uh, opinions. Uh, they're both reporters. Uh, he's a sports guy. She does other stuff. But um, they uh, they get married, and, and that's when the conflicts start to arise after they get married, and they have to wonder, did we do the right thing? Is this, you know, are we really on the same page? Are we really meant for this? And, and it really grapples with those questions um, and a relationship and, and hardships of differing ideologies and, and worldviews and how that looks. Uh, from there, I'd go into the 50s with Billy Wilder, Some Like It Hot. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that Billy Wilder script, I was thinking of a Wilder movie, and, and this is one of his romances. And uh, just his dialogue is so rapid fire. It's so quick-witted. It is so sharp. Uh, and that's what I was kind of thinking, too. You know, the, the mean-spiritedness of it wasn't really there. Uh, but just the back and forth between uh, Keanu and Winona and how quick it happens um, because this movie is almost all dialogue. I mean, there's not a lot of 
set pieces or beats or anything. It's all talking. Well, there's one set piece. Well, yeah. But I mean, primarily, it's it's them talking and conversing. It's very quick. And um, I think Billy Wilder is the kind of cornerstone for that. And then I would jump up to the 80s. I, I think about all these movies is uh, characterization uh, and characters kind of talking things out and dealing with their, their selves. And I would go to The Breakfast Club, um, the yeah, John Hughes nice film. Pick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and how that kind of something very adult you know those kids don't talk like kids and then there's something a little elevated about the way they speak but there's also just a lot of characterization there and working through stuff and and, uh, and looking at all those things uh, and then from there I'd, I'd move into the 90s i'd go with as good as it gets um here we have you know uh jack nicholson who's doing that thing where he's a very dislikable character um who's got his his things he's trying to overcome and uh, and Helen Hunt's trying to get past that and work with that and, and deal with his, his baggage. And, and it's a really interesting dynamic at play. And I think to kind of wrap all that up is uh punch drunk love. Um, uh, PT mm, Anderson. You know, I love good. that movie. Yeah. And I, even more so than I think Jack Nicholson as good as it gets. I think Adam Sandler has a, a very interesting character there um, playing much against type while also, utilizing a lot of those elements we know of his persona, the anger and the, the, the comedy to form a more tragic character and, and somebody looking for love and wondering if they can be accepted. And I think that kind of leads naturally into a film like Destination Wedding. Very good, very good. I think if I was using this movie, I think it would be more in a creative writing kind of context where we're talking about screenwriting specifically and the writing okay. of dialogue. And uh, But I wouldn't necessarily use any uh, – uh, I mean uh, there would be some Save the Cat kind of text um, that you might be using um, as a piece of inspiration. But what I would do for this is then just sort of look at big exemplars and how a genre sort of influences the way in which you write this kind of dialogue. And so we'd begin with the uh, text of reading uh, the, the screwball comedy chapter out of uh, Thomas's Schott's film genres book, okay. uh, which is now out of print, but I have a copy of it. So I guess it'd be one of those you know, available at Kinko's um, mm -hmm. kind of things uh, where you have a course packet to pick up uh, for this particular class. Um, but that would be the place I would begin. And then you've got to go to William Powell, Myrna Loy, and The Thin Man. Um, it is, it is not a screwball comedy. It's really, it's a Dashiell Hammett adaptation. Mm. And I think that dialogue with adaptation is really interesting. And so all my selections with films, uh, my first two selections with films sort of play into that. Okay. Uh, where, okay, so this is doing an adaptation of, well, it's basically a hard boiled kind of detective story. Yeah. Um, but it's turned into this screwball comedy with all of these great sort of, uh, bits of dialogue and conversation and, and character development, uh, that occurs, uh, through that with, again, the wit and witticism of that kind of comedy that we see. In Destination Wedding. The other example is an adaptation of Taming of the Shrew, which is 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, I think the performances in that movie are also equally stellar, and the dialogue is whip crack and smart. And I just, I just love it, and it's very, very fun. It's a movie that I just adore anyway. And so it would be 10 Things I Hate About You uh, for that. And then the last uh, film I would want them to look at and be part of the conversation is Conversations with Other Women. Uh, yeah. the, the Helena Bonacartum, uh, Bona. Helena Bonham Carter, there you go. Aaron Eckhart uh, joint film in which they are a couple 
who were married early in their 20s, and now they're in their late 30s, and they have been divorced for over 10 years at this point. And they have a circle of friends in which uh, Helena Bonham Carter becomes uh, it's like a substitute bridesmaid at a wedding for uh, Aaron Eckhart's sister. And so the sister knows her and is an old friend, an old connection, but got to get somebody to come in and get, do this thing. So she shows up and does uh, the uh, bridesmaid role for this, and Aaron is there. But everyone kind of forgets who she is. It's been so long out of their lives that they forget that, oh, yeah, she used to be married to him. And the movie doesn't tell you. I love how long the movie holds the reveal of how they know each other. And so, you know, they they were used to be together. They used to date. No, they used to be married uh, for a significant amount of time. Yeah, it's it's unclear for the first several minutes of screen time they have together if they know each other. Right, yeah. And then as you realize they do know each other, it's unclear how they know each other. Right, yeah. and it's a long, casual kind of pickup. Now, the uh, sort of stylistic and see this movie is that it's uh, two different shots all the time. Um, sometimes it's a split frame. For the most part, it's not. You see her perspective and lines of dialogue sometimes repeat and sometimes wrap over, but it's not very consistent in the way that it does that, which is fine. So it's not like your Eleanor Rigby movie uh, that you were talking about earlier, um, starring the Beatles. Um, rather, it's... Uh, a, a, a but it's got a little bit of that going mm-hmm. on. But it's all them just having this conversation of who they are, where they've come, and how they used to have this relationship together. And by the time... You have certain assumptions about both of them, and by the time you get to the end of the film... Most of those assumptions are kind of upset, yeah. And it's only revealed in them having a conversation where they kind of pretend not to know each other, and their their names are never revealed. You never know who he is or who she is. Their 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 screen credits are man and woman, and that's it. And uh, it is a really really well performed uh, film in which all of your uh, movement in terms of dialogue and arcing happens uh, basically. Uh, with just dialogue with a set piece of a sex scene, Uh, partly told in flashback and partly told uh, without. I have to also mention in this particular movie, the uh, flashback actors are excellent choices. Mm -hmm. I mean, a very good version of a young uh, Ms. Carter, a very, very good version of a young uh, Mr. Eckhart, and it's, it's totally believable. And so it's an interesting movie and a good pair, I think, with this. So that's how I would expand the syllabus. Aaron Eckhart doesn't get enough work. He does not. No. He's good. He's yeah. very good. He's a very good actor. He's underutilized for sure. It yeah. is, he has a very, very um, distinct chin. I yeah. think that's what keeps him from working. It, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. It might yeah. have helped him more in the 90s. Mm, it's a powerful chin. It's a very powerful. It's not a Bruce Campbell chin. No. It's almost a Trom. Trom? Tom Travolta, John Travolta chin. You'll get there, bud. It's an Aaron Eckhart chin. It's an, it is definitely It that. stands alone. It's its own thing. Um, we should do Thank You for Smoking sometime. We absolutely should do Thank You for Smoking. I love that movie. So, uh, man, we'll add that to the list. So, dear listener, your syllabus just got a bit longer. Let's move into what you came here for. Let's do that analysis. Here we are. It is time to do analysis. Um, where shall we begin? I think if it's all right. I, I just want to bring up, we don't really talk about it. We don't do a lot of comedies, especially we don't do a lot of romantic comedies. Uh, but I just kind of want to open the floor and talk about the importance of chemistry. We've kind of alluded to mm-hmm. it. Yes. But how make or break it is it for a film? I think we talked about this a little bit when we did our uh, Meg Hanks uh, marathon, our Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks uh, team-up movies. Um uh, about how integral to a romantic comedy or just any romance film the the chemistry is, right? Do do I believe that these two people would have sex with each other? Yes or no? 
and if the que- answer to that question is yes, then you've got a lot of leg room in terms of how successful the film's going to be at telling its story. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, Arthur. That's a great place to start the conversation because these two have heaven spades. They're so good together. Yes. They just click uh, in a way that, uh, I mean, only people who've known each other for 30 years can really click, I think. Uh, it's, it's the William Palmer and Aloy thing. I mean, they just work. Or uh, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, who are real life, you know, yeah. romantic interests. Um, they were married. So, I mean, that... That works, but sometimes you know it's not the case with Humphrey Bogart and say Inger Bergman in Casablanca. There's just there's, there's something there that's intangible. Yeah, and uh, yeah, sometimes they have to know each other for a long time, and sometimes they just they just sort of have on screen chemistry, you know. And I don't know how that works or what makes that, you know, how you bottle that and predict that, but it's totally there. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think another great example uh, back last year when we talked about our coming of age movies. Uh, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey mm. famously didn't really care for each other, but yeah. they found a way to make it work on screen. So, yeah, being real-life lovers or real-life friends is helpful, but it's not necessary. What is necessary is that the chemistry on screen registers for sure. Is it simply this, and I wonder this sometimes, if there are people you'd want to bang, then it works. Interesting. Uh, yeah, how, how much does your attraction to the leads help? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. No, I'm I've gonna... never really thought about it, but I don't. Know that that's a part of it. I don't think so. No, I can think of I, just running down my like mental rolodex of like uh, romantic comedies I like. I can think of a couple like I'm partial to where I'm not super attracted to either lead. Yeah, because I find myself kind of put out with uh, you know an Adam Sandler. Uh, you know, not with the exception of Punch Struck Love, hmm. but you know some of those Adam Sandler vehicles. Uh, we talk about Mike Myers and uh, you know uh, Tia Carrera yeah. in Wayne's yeah. World. And and part of the reason why their chemistry doesn't work is, is you just don't believe them as a couple because you don't find Mike Myers attractive. I find Mike Myers attractive. Do you? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Young Mike Myers, I, I, get what you're, I get what you're saying, though. Uh, I, I think maybe this does come down to screenplay, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, can, can, are they written well enough that you're invested in who they are as a person? Yeah, yeah maybe that's more it than anything. But I think there may be something to that. I I. I th- thing we talked about off air that I really like about this film speaking to the chemistry is that their meet cute is very very antagonistic uh, they actively are mean to each other in their meet cute uh, and well up until uh, quite a ways into the film they, they're adversarial with one another um, I, the film's kind of broken into three acts in an interesting way it's uh, they hate each other she starts to fall in love with him and then he starts to fall in love with her which, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of an interesting uh conceit just structurally for the film to have and, and really allows their chemistry to kind of develop in interesting ways throughout the film. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's another thing going on here uh, with Keanu Reeves' character particularly that he is very misanthropic. He's very cynical. Yeah. Um, she's also misanthropic, but she lacks the cynicism. There's, there's a She's kind of an optimist uh, yeah. in, in a way that has made her uh, misanthropic. Yeah, yeah because uh, she keeps being let down. you know. But his... Uh, ethos his sort of uh, philosophy of life his bushido is something where he is a uh, um, in the rigorous attempt to be um, true to himself and his own principles it is really this sort of uh, very very vigorous version of authenticity and i couldn't help but think about sart you know and uh, just this idea of the only way to live your life is to really 100 percent be true to yourself and so if i don't like these people if i don't like this place i will do certain things and i will be aware of what i'm doing them and, I, and i'll make i'll make choices i'll make sort of compromised choices i'm going to show up at this wedding because what i want is i don't want to be a bad person but i hate these people 
And uh, but I also don't want to give them a reason, and I'm just going to sort of, sort of fully knowing that it's going to be giving them a worse reason by not showing up mm-hmm. than by giving them a reason by showing up. So I, that's what I'd rather do. Yeah, he, he's interesting in that regard, uh, and she is too. Her her choice to go to a wedding that she knows she was given a pity invite to, but that her her need for closure is interesting. And as uh, Frank says to her, closure is not a real thing. Either you know. You, you get it or you don't, but it you know it's not a real thing. It's just an idea that we have. He broke it off five years ago. That's closure. That yeah yeah. He said we're done. That would be the, when it's closed. Yeah, it's it's interesting the the ways in which their their ethos is um, are, are kind of at odds with each other, and yet still find them in alignment with each other more often than not. Uh, again, we we talked about uh, you know, her doing. Um, I forget exactly what her job is, but she's a, a lawyer that uh, you know. As as Frank says, she's the free speech police, mm-hmm. uh, which is the most frank thing for him to say. Uh, but uh, the ways in which they're at odds with each other kind of show that their personal ethics align, which I think is really interesting yeah. just in terms of the, the character development. Uh, but you're right. He, he does have this, this vein of, uh, I, I'm not going to give people a reason to hate me even if I hate them, which mm-hmm. is an interesting ethic to have. Right. Yeah, that's like I, I don't want to be hated. And so I won't give them, but I will hate whoever I want to hate, you know. And so it's just these are two conflicting sort of desires within me, but I can live with the, the tension and and really just negotiate the dissonance there. Yeah, it's as his character gets developed, uh, it's interesting the ways in which he is very uh, sweet. He's a very sweet mm-hmm. person, uh, and it's funny to see like as this uh, uh, armor he wears starts to be taken off uh, as he stops resisting uh having feelings for her he starts to become like more chivalrous uh he, he does this adorable bow at the end of the movie when he is opening the cab door for her and then the cab door is locked doesn't open yeah it's it's great but it's, it's it's interesting to see how frank thinks about romance like this character who keeps talking about how he has no interest in romance and has opted out of romantic relationships when he decides to opt into one the ways in which he engages with it are really really interesting it is fascinating um i want to talk a little bit about sort of uh gendered and uh, age assumptions regarding dating marriage remarriage and that kind of thing because i do find it very interesting the entire conversation about uh the mother and father's remarriages and yeah uh, frank's uh, dad left his mom for an older woman yeah um, and that is the worst thing you can do uh, because it's 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 oh it's it, it's awful to leave her for a younger woman, but that's to be expected. And again, it does feel it does feel of a decade past or two or ten. Well, and I think that's Frank and Lindsay, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they they have some pretty gross comments about uh, trans people when they're uh, talking about the pansexual uh, officiant for the wedding. Yeah, how do you get that job? Yeah. <laughs> They have some pretty gross ways of talking about other people's relationships, and you're right that they they think they're so far, you know, galaxy brained ahead of everybody, and really they're thinking about interpersonal discourses about ten years, fifteen years, twenty years behind the times. They're kind of arrested in their development as these Gen Xers who have grown into these uh, scabbed over curmudgeons. Yeah, and, and I just found that really interesting that it was okay to do this, and you know, but if if she marries an older man, that's fine, you know. But he, you know, she can't marry a younger man because that's just weird, 
you know, and so uh, the, the, those sort of dialogues and conversations, and a little bit of this comes in in the Aaron Eckhart uh, Helena Bonham Carter movie that I'm thinking about as well. But uh, I just I find that those sort of assumptions, those regressive assumptions as to uh, what what is an okay leave and what's a not okay leave, what's a what's a good sort of uh, explainable you know uh, affair or whatever. I just find that really fascinating. But apparently, if you do somebody older, that's just you have really turned the knife. You know, if you're a uh, if you're a man, it's a very funny back and forth they have during that entire like breakdown of uh, of Frank's dad's new marriage. That whole conversation at the uh, the wedding dinner is super funny. Yeah, I just found that very fascinating. Um, what else we got to talk about? Well, I, I think it's uh, interesting just how this film navigates uh, comedy in general. Like, there's a lot of physical comedy in this film. Uh, but it's kind of un, um, unstylized physical comedy. You know, they fall down a hill, but they don't fall all the way down the hill. They take, you know, two or three tumbles. As You know, people actually fall. It's not a movie fall. Uh, Frank not being able to get the cab door open. Uh, the spilling of the wine. They're not being able to get the peanuts open. There's a ton of physical comedy in this movie, but it's like very grounded physical comedy. It, yeah. You don't get that very often. No. It, it does have this natural, even him just like stooping in the, the uh, airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just very physical, yeah. and thanks to his height, he can't yeah. stand up naturally in this thing. Uh, it, it, it is interesting. It's kind of refreshing, but uh, and I think it matches though the the rest of the tone. I think if we had these mm-hmm. over the top pratfalls down hills or anything, I mean, I, the most over the top thing is the the mountain lion. Yeah, uh, which or the still... sex scene that follows. Oh, it's just so good. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a second. We'll yeah, get there. We got to get there. Uh, but yeah, the, the mountain lion introduces life or death stakes into the, the affair, which I think is just a fun. Uh, these characters would never have a nice moment together if it wasn't for the fact they didn't almost die. Uh, and it speaks volumes for who these characters are. But again, it still is framed within this kind of grounded physical comedy that, the, that this film is so interested in. You're right, Arthur. We don't get a lot of it. I don't. It seems like films are scared to to do physical comedy without going fully broad um, when you, you can do like a, a regular fall. You don't have to do a full pratfall. Just somebody like normal ass falling down is still funny. You don't have to do a, a big goofy sound effect or anything, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's a rarity that we, I can't think of any other film that does physical comedy like this off the top of my head. Well, and again, I think it's just the way it plays. I mean, part of it's the writing, part of it's the performance, but even, you know, the open the peanuts, it's not so much. He can't open them. It's that he's, He's made a big deal that because she's a woman, she can't do it. So he's yeah. the big man. That's just there's great. a notch. Yeah, it seems to have a defective notch. Yeah, so. like he's got a mansplain it to her, like why she can't open these, and then he can't do it, which is where the humor comes in. Yeah, the, the irony of these situations. The, the karma of him not being able to get the peanuts open, so so damn. Funny. I think that's I the it. thing about it is with all the physical comedy, there's an irony to it. Yeah, and that's what makes it work. Uh, the groove chew thing is really funny too. Speaking of physical comedy, like or just the ways in which she's forcing him <laughs> yeah. out of his comfort zone are really adorable. Yeah. Can uh, we swallow now? Yeah, can, yeah. Can we groove swallow? Groove swallow. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about speaking of physical comedy. Let's talk about this dang sex scene, huh? Oh my goodness. We got two movies where Keanu does it in the grass. Not one, but two. <laughs> one much more romanticized, and what's more more. Yeah, it's it's weird that the one that has uh, all these that's full of jokes is the more romantic of the two uh, grass sex scenes we got. But th- they are so damn funny in that scene. They are. It's just like 
the, the fact that their discourse about the sex that they're having continuing into the sex is one just a fun detail. I mean, it's just a fun like realistic sex detail. Uh, yeah. So many movie sex scenes, just like all right, as soon as the clothes come off, then it's orchestral music and nobody talks. And, well, that's really how intimacy no. works. <laughs> uh, and these two have like a very realistic lived-in intimacy. And it's it's like that. It's weird and it's funny and it's ridiculous sometimes. Yeah. And 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 just again, a, a scene where that's being named. Is something I didn't know I needed in cinema, but I did. And they refreshing. Have, they have an active conversation about the fact they're going to have unprotected sex. Like that, yeah. that never happens. Films so rarely talk about uh, protection when uh, two strangers have sex. That's, well, it's just a joke yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah. And this it's a joke here for sure too, but it also informs their characters yeah. a lot. Like Frank is a little bit uh, anxious about the possibility of a baby. She's like, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen, but and also I'm a grown woman. Don't worry about it. It's my problem. Yeah, like it's it's an interesting just like back and forth they have it's so good and, and then, then oh boy oh boy oh boy oh boy is so so damn funny uh, the the nose and him being like wait no. what and she's like no i'm i'm a negative person it's fine <laughs> it's so funny they're so funny uh and, and then the 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 tarantulas that look like crabs, crabs. you've got crabs no look, look no crabs crabs that's so damn funny and, and again it leads to this moment later, uh, you know, he talks about her being attractive when they have sex and when they, they go back to uh, his room to just kind of hang out and spend the evening together. Uh, she's like, hey, what did you mean when I was attractive? And they have, I think, maybe my favorite scene ever of two characters explaining to the other why they like, they like them, why they find them physically appealing. Um, because, you know, you put two attractive stars on screen, the uh, sexual chemistry is assumed a lot of the time. But to have f- the two of them, especially Frank, who, like, plays everything so close to the chest like very clinically talk about why he thinks she's sexy you're the golden ratio yeah you have the golden ratio the, the folds of aphrodite and the all folds of aphrodite is my favorite thing so ever funny it's just like he talks about her body in a way that's not not leering but is very appreciative and and, and sincere and wholesome and it's it's wholesomely horny <laughs> which is a thing we've talked about a couple of times on this show uh and then her, her talking about uh, the ways in which he's you know athletic but not you know not overly athletic, but not under athletic, and has a beautiful, perfect penis, and it's and his a, smile doesn't go quite past the corners of his eyes, which yeah. is very important. You know, yeah, it's it's a beautiful scene of just two people talking to each other about each other, and I can't think of very many scenes like that. I really can't, and it's it's just such a, I feel like an accurate depiction of two people falling in love. That mm-hmm. uh, especially two people who start off adversarial. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. It's a uh, just uh, having a man in a film tell a woman the ways in which she is sexy to him in a way that is like clinicky, clinical and not gross. It's just a, it's a gentleman's ass move. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I like it too. Yeah, it just, uh, as far as the gender politics of this film go, as you mentioned, that Lindsay and Frank both uh, have their own weird hang ups in terms of gender politics, but that moment where there's no pretense between the two of them is really kind of beautiful. Yeah, I do also think that the choice of the film does. I, this is just like a personal theory that I have, and I have conversations with people all the time. You know, do you believe there's one person for everybody? And uh, Frank's response is, "No, I believe there's nobody for anybody. You're close. It's nobody for anybody," which is pretty hilarious. But I do think that it's simply the choice of you know, do we have some sort of initial chemistry? That's that's a yes or no question. And then after that, do you want to make it work? That's it. And that's it. 
there's everybody for everybody, honestly. Yeah, at yeah. that point. I mean, there are some people you will not have initial chemistry with, and that's fine. Um, but even, you know, your initial sort of, again, the pride and prejudice thing comes in here where you might initially sort of be put off by a person. That doesn't mean it can't work out, but it comes down to, is there that? And then after that, do you want to? Yeah. And then after that, you know, it's up to y'all. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a very, again, realistic and nuanced view of, of interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. And that uh, this film just kind of wears this very beautiful beating heart on its sleeve, but a, a crusty beating heart. Yes. Which, is, again, it's just rare and delightful. Um, I do want to talk about uh, the fact that the, these two like refuse to talk about their problems. Uh, there's, it's a kind of a brief scene when they're walking off by themselves uh, and they're talking about, uh, 1% or problems. And he goes, well, I'm not that rich. And he goes, okay, fine. But like the top 10%, whatever you want to call it, people who don't have to worry about their daily needs, food, housing, transportation, nobody cares about our problems. Uh, and, and they kind of have this conversation about, uh, not feeling entitled to their own, uh, uh, existential angst. And that's a, I don't know, that, that's something worth navigating and interrogating, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh. That that's just a good way to get you stuck in uh, your development as a person, man. Like, yeah. If if you don't give yourself green lights to talk about your problems, you're never gonna feel any better. I mean, your suffering is suffering. I mean, that's the thing, and that that's sort of what is the negative sort of consequence that they're both living in is that if my suffering doesn't measure up to somebody else's suffering, and we do live in a society that does do the tragedy porn thing, that does yeah. do the uh, sort of whatever the the measuring contest of have I had it worse than you or is what, yes, indeed there are people who have had it worse and there is definitely a need for folks who are overwhelmingly privileged to recognize the, uh, the grand scheme of things, the proportionality of suffering. But that doesn't mean that those things which bother them, those things which trouble them are nothing. It just means that they need to also have their eyes open for empathy for somebody who's Frank's dad shot him. Yeah. He got shot. By his father. <laughs> I think you're allowed to be a little bit bothered by that. Yeah. And you're allowed to want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah, that's fine. Yeah. All I don't, right. I don't really have a whole lot else to say. I mean, it is, as we talked about, kind of a thin film analysis-wise. Um, Arthur, do you have anything you like I found to a quote I was going to bring up and okay. see what you guys thought about it. If you think there's much uh, actual merit here or anything worth noting. Um, so this is uh, from an article called All Aboard... Uh, by I'm gonna probably butcher this name by Farron Smith uh, Neem or Namey, um, but it accompanies the Criterion edition of It Happened One Night. Oh, okay. And so this is in relation to It Happened One Night, but there's a a, a, a statement here that I found interesting, uh, and it may be more about romantic comedy in general, but I, we might be able to apply it here. Um, but the author says. It's often said that social progress has weakened love stories by removing all the important obstacles, the most obvious being uh, the bygone uh, bygone taboo of sex before marriage, uh, but another being the class system that's uh, woven throughout it happened one night. Mm. And so I was just curious if you thought that, you know, the idea of conflict, how that's changed and impacted romantic comedies as, as far as social taboos that would have caused kind of the comic conflict in, in movies past, you know, the big conflict in, uh, it happened one night is the, uh, the scene where they have to share a room, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not married, which would have been socially a taboo then. Um, so I'm just yes. wondering, you know, that idea of, are there any kind of social taboos left or, or do you think the romantic comedy has suffered at all because of, a more progressive culture. Well, I think this film 
gets at that a little bit by letting Lindsay and Frank have kind of very different personal ethoses. Um, again, we've mentioned this already, but framing them against each other in this terms of, uh, uh, Frank being a, you know, well, I, I am a capitalist because it's a respectable job and you know, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. JD power and associates is going to exist for uh, as long as we keep doing this thing. So I'm fine. Uh, and you know, her, her values being kind of very much, uh, against that. And, and that's probably the closest we can get to this, right? Is, uh, again, this is a film for our times. People, uh, don't get along very well uh, if our uh, initial assumptions about each other's values don't click. Um, which, hey, you know what? Totally fair sometimes. I get it. Trust me, I get it. But I, I think maybe that is the, the taboo that we still have. Yeah, the class system uh, keeping people apart is gone, but class systems still keep people like locked into their own circles. Mm -hmm. It's acceptable to move within and without of your class circles or uh, uh, racial or ethnic circles, sure, but there's still a lot of barriers to entry, right? There's a whole lot of assumptions about we make about each other going into not just romantic relationships, but any interpersonal discourse. Um, but I, I think that Farron makes a good point, just to, in terms of, especially it happened one night, and how it kind of navigates some of those cultural taboos of the 30s. Um, I, I think our taboos are a lot fuzzier now, maybe. Uh, and if there are any, I think uh, Destination Wedding does a good job of finding a way to talk about them. Well, I think they're less assigned by birth mm -hmm. than they used to be. So, you know, gotcha. classes assigned by birth or education or, you know, those kind of race, mm -hmm. um, some of the big ones uh, that they wrestle with and like, guess who's coming to dinner, you know, uh, speaking of Spencer Tracy. You know, those are some of the places where that happens. And now it is more of an affinity group thing where yeah. you're going to get uh, – you know, you're going to get a CrossFit guy and, uh, you know, a girl who's very into Dungeons and Dragons together. Like, that's going to be the, the movie where their meet cute is. I believe in that couple. You know, you're, you're vacuous and, you know, physical only and, and, and you're obsessed with elves and wizards and stuff that isn't real. And how do we, you know, negotiate that? Or, you know, lefty-righty politics. Which, again, this film touches on a little bit. A little bit. It know. keeps Frank's politics, like, deliberately vague, too. We just hear that he's listening to, like, aggressive cable news. It's not mm -hmm. really important what he's hearing. It's just that's what it he does consumes. feel Fox. And they kind of give her an out because she says something at one point and he's like, aren't you a, you know, isn't that kind of go against your uh, political correctness mm -hmm. job? And she's like, I just work there kind of a yeah. out. Yeah. It shows that the, these in-groups we assign ourselves to often have a lot more to do with just navigating the world than any like real personal feeling. And and so yeah, I, I would I'd anticipate the future of w the uh, romantic comedy would be whatever it is that becomes the new sort of uh, seismic uh, friction, you know, uh, fault lines between uh, human beings, and we'll we'll develop new ones, you know, because we always do it seems. And it, right now, it looks more like affinity groups. It looks like mm -hmm. it looks like you know the CrossFitter in this, you know. I mean, there'll, there'll be movies about uh, international relationships always, where there are language barriers or religion barriers and those kind of distance. things. Distance, distance. Um, where, where people negotiate that kind of thing, but I think the real sort of rubber meets the road romantic comedy with the with the capital C comedy in it is going to be again the person who's a furry and the person who's really into sports cars and getting those two together, you know, or yeah. whatever version of that you know you happen to see. I think it's a fair point. I think yeah, the the in groups is kind of kind of be the thing, and th this film makes a great case for just let the love in. Damn it, let mm -hmm. people love you, love other people. It's not always easy, and it's. It's never easy, and it's always messy. And never guaranteed. But, you know, try. And that's I, I love that Frank's resistance to letting this become a relationship 
is it's it isn't her it's him he's mm-hmm. just too scared to get hurt because every person who's supposed to have loved him has hurt him um so it's pretty understandable that he is so resistant to this but uh this film ends on like the most beautiful resolution that you could imagine a film like this having yeah absolutely so well okay well those are our thoughts then about the movie uh destination wedding let's do the last thing uh destination weddings are presumptuous though these misanthropes are right don't make people travel if you're not going to somebody's hometown don't do it especially tulsa i'm sorry Anyway, uh, so... We had a great time in Tulsa, though. Yeah. Uh, oh, did you guys have a great time at the wedding? We had a great time. We uh, I got to see all the sights of Tulsa. <laughs> I got to take it in. What was going to die in a car The Parthenon. The Parthenon. The Great Pyramid of Giza was a, a wonderful sight. Yeah, Trump Tower was great. Um, uh, the 24-karat gold toilets at the uh, wedding venue <laughs> mm-hmm. were a pure, well, just a treat. Well, the Saddam Hussein wax museum was also one of my favorite things there. How did you guys feel about They my... actually had tore down the wax statue before I got there. Oh, did they? Yeah. yeah. The, the employees had pulled it down. <laughs> did they Did they still have the ice sculpture of Pol Pot? Did they leave that up? It's the summer, man. Yeah, I know. It was very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed the wedding. Uh, listener, I'm married now. Yeah, sorry, um, by, sorry. By now you are. Sorry, ladies and fellas, this uh, this market's closed. Well, you can't render a verdict on your wedding or marriage yet, but uh, we can render a verdict on this movie. All right, uh, let's shelf do it. or trash. I mean, well, you know, Winona and uh, Keanu do. They make predictions. <laughs> we are going to not do that. That Please seems don't. very much like their characters, though. Happily ever after. Uh, I got a good feeling about it. All right, so uh, shelf or trash with Destination Wedding. What do you say, Dalton? I love this movie. I think it's so good. Uh, it's the most unique Keanu performance we've gotten out of this marathon because the the most naturalistic. He he is just a dude. And watching Keanu, who has such a specific screen presence, just be a regular schmo is really cool and just kind of a fun change of pace for not only this marathon, but I would say his career at large. Uh, Frank's just a, a dude who works for J.D. Power and Associates. Uh, and, and Winona has had a hell of a comeback over the last few years thanks to Stranger Things. Uh, but, you know, it, it would be foolish to say she has not also missed out on a lot of great years of her career uh, due to, I guess, Hollywood giving a shit that she shoplifted or something. I don't know, man. I don't know why anybody does anything. Uh, but seeing seeing Winona just, like, on screen having a ball is is a great time. These, these two are so good together, and this film is just so breezy and sweet. And anything that can find this much kindness and empathy and sweetness in characters that are this unlikable... I love it. It's 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 the bee's knees. I don't know. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to say. I like it. So, shelf. Shelf. All right. Yeah. What do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? I think you guys have talked me into a very soft uh, shelf. Um, I, I do. I, it's kind of refreshing to get a romantic comedy of this nature uh, that's not the same old, same old, meet, cute, fall in love, fall out of love, big conflict in the second act. Uh, so that's very refreshing. Also, I... I I'm a sucker for this type of script. This fast pace back and forth uh, is just always really impressive to me. That's why I gravitate towards guys like Sorkin or Wilder because I, there's something very special about this type of writing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go check out his uh, earlier movie, is nine to five, nine to no five to seven, I think, or four to seven or something like that yeah. with Anton Yelchin, yeah, uh, which I I wanted to see as well. Um, and so I, I like a lot of elements about it, and and. Ryder and Reeves are just so good together. Mm. Uh, just so 
such a great chemistry, probably one of my favorite pairings uh, in, that I can think of recently. Um, and I just love how they play off of each other. And so I think there's something kind of very special in this very simple movie. And, and I think it speaks not only to the power of, uh, you, know, you know, a good script, but also to uh, making the most out of a limited resources. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a very short shooting schedule, very small budget, and you are able to pull this together and, and make it come off as, as well as they do. And so I think there's something to be said about that. Very good, very good. I would definitely watch this movie again, but I would not shelf it. That's fair. I like it. Um, I, I like it a lot, but I think there are better uh, independent comedies like this. I think there are better um, screwball comedies. I think there's better dialogue. Not that this is bad in any way, but they're just better examples that be I would put on the shelf well ahead of this. I'll be curious what you guys I mean think. there's not a shelf on your shelf for the shelf of this shelf? <laughs> no, trash. I, I'll be curious if you guys ever get a chance to rewatch it, because this was the second time I, I'd seen this mm. film. I, I liked it a lot, even more on the second watch. Yeah, that's so. probably fair. I feel like you pick up a lot more as well. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I, I'll be curious if either of you ever get a chance to revisit how you feel. But, I, yeah, I, I think not shelving, it's totally fine. Does Dustin's trash can have shelves? I don't think I don't, so. I don't, I don't think he's gone that far into his head canon. <laughs> Dustin's mind is a uh, memory palace uh, of a film library. It's something like that, maybe. It might be full of cats. It, so, thank you for attending the man they called Keanu. Thank you for attending my wedding if you were there. Uh, thank you for your well wishes, and uh, fuck you for your not well wishes, I guess. I don't know. Uh, thank you, Arthur and Dustin, for the long time coming Keanu Reeves Marathon. Uh, it was a, a wonderful gift, and I, I appreciate it. We're going to talk about Keanu again next week, though. Uh, yes, we, we are. We are going to do a little film called Keanu. Not involving Keanu Reeves. Well, you'll see about that. Uh, mostly involving Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key and uh, their director from uh, Key and Peele, the television series. And I cannot think of that director's name uh, right now. But it's not important. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, well, it's all about finding the lost cat, right? It is all about finding the lost it's cat. It's the John Wick prequel. It, buddy, you ain't fooling. Okay. <laughs> I can't. All, this movie's so funny. I'm all in. All right. It's got to pass the six laugh rule for it to be really funny. Well, we'll see how he feels about it. Well, you keep watching and we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time.